I got a call from another pastor on the island asking, you, you guys are still on, right? I'm like, yeah. Sorry, if, if I didn't come to church today, all my Midwestern friends and family would just disown me. So if I was preaching to, you know, to an empty sanctuary, I'd still have to be here. I've got, I got a reputation to uphold. But we've been, uh, this is the second week in Psalm 119. And uh, like I said last week, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. So this is either going to be awesome or foolish that I try this. But we also talked that it's called an acrostic poem, meaning that every stanza, within each stanza, every line begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And again, we noticed that last week that if you look at your English Bible, that at the beginning of each stanza, there is a not-English word above it. So Aleph, Beit, Gimel, and Dalet, those are all Hebrew consonants. And uh, there was a little confusion last week, so I want to show a slide again. Um, the thing I forgot to mention, I showed one of these last week, and I don't like to do this often, because um, I, I don't want you to, uh, to not like your English Bibles, but this is the original Hebrew of Psalm 119. And what I forgot to mention last week is that you read Hebrew right to left. And so when I was saying that every consonant is the same, some of you looked at that and were like, mm-mm. So, so go all the way towards the numbers, and it's the same letter. And we talked about that, that, the, that God had the author do this, one, so that it was more easily memorized, and we do this in creating acronyms that start with the ABCs, but also that he is communicating something foundational and basic, just like the alphabet is foundational and basic to all the rest of language. So let's hop right into the second stanza of Psalm 119. And what's interesting about this stanza is that it's the only stanza that begins with a question. If you look there in verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? That was a question back then. It is a huge question today. And until Jesus comes, it will be a question for all of us. How in the midst of a fallen and broken world can we keep our way pure? Can we keep our way holy and pleasing to God? And I think that the psalmist uses a young man here because if we're thinking sort of generally and stereotypically, when we think of someone striving to live a pure life, the first person we think of is a young man. And I think what the psalmist is saying that if this is how a young man is to live a pure life, then it's true for everybody else. If this, the, the, the one who stereotypically struggles with purity and holiness the most, if this is how he is to live a pure life, then obviously the rest of us need to do the same. And with a young man, there is a truth 
that how you act now affects when you're not a young man, when you're an old man. And within this understanding that young men grow up to be old men, Lord willing, but that what you do now affects your future. How you live now affects how you walk before God in the future. And in this first verse, the question comes with an answer. How can even a young man live in a way that is pure? By guarding it according to your word. And the rest of the psalm unpacks what it means to guard our lives according to the word of God. The whole rest of this stanza shows us how to live out a guarded life, a life where we protect our purity and our holiness so that we can live a life pleasing to God. And our big idea this morning is just that, that we keep our lives pure by following God's word. We keep our lives pure by following God's word. Because this is for all of us, not just the young men. Now, young men, it's especially for you, but everybody else, you're still, you're not off the hook yet. But we can keep our lives pure by following God's word. We're going to see that in four ways in this text. And I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, more than normal, um, but, uh, but get your Bible handy. Which, by the way, I am literally using the same Bible as some of you are, so that you can follow along better. So now you're without excuse. So let's look at the first way that we guard our lives according to God's word. And the first one is wholehearted devotion to scripture. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That a part of living a pure and holy life is being completely devoted to God and his word. If we are fully devoted to God, we will be fully devoted to his word. And we learn how to be fully devoted to God by being fully devoted to his word. Again, there's a temptation of some to separate God from his word. That you can have a relationship with God without his word. And that's a bunch of baloney. And we see it here. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The same thing, the two, two sides of the coin are said, one in positive and one in negative terms. That I, I, I desire to seek you. And in seeking you, keep me from wandering away from your word. If we're not wholly devoted to God's word, we're going to be wholly devoted to something else. You will be in your life, no matter 
what you think. There is always going to be something that you are completely devoted to. And the godly life is completely devoted to God and his word. Be devoted to his word, that this is a part of our living in purity and holiness. Because God's word is his communication to us. And, and he's letting us know the life that pleases him. And to understand what that is, we have to be devoted to his word. Secondly, when we talk about being devoted, when we talk about guarding our lives according to God's word, here in this stanza, the psalmist shows us the importance of memorizing scripture. Let's start at verse 11. I'm going to skip a little bit around here. So in answering, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We see that the opposite of a pure life is a life of sin. And in verse 11, when we store up in our hearts, when we memorize God's word, that keeps us away from sin. There's two reasons for that. Number one, we know how to be obedient. Again, God has revealed his will and his desire in God's word. And so when we really know, when we memorize God's words, we're able to remember how we are to be obedient. We remember the commands that God has placed in his word. We know what God expects from us. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, we know why to be obedient. So we get the how from God's word, and, and we remember that. We can call it to mind when we memorize it, but we also can know why to be obedient. We don't just live holy lives so that we can earn brownie points with God, that if we balance the scales of our good and our bad, that he has to take us in. We know that's not how it works. But rather, we, we, we see the cross, in God's word. We memorize those parts of scriptures where it talks about God coming to save sinners. And when we call those to minds, we're able to see that we are to then offer our lives as holy and pure in worship and gratitude to God. If we don't know God's word, if we can't call it to mind, then, I mean, are we just guessing why we do what we do? Are we just saying, you know, eh, this seems right? Which that usually works in the long run for all of us, I'm sure. But we need to know why to be obedient, and we can have that any time when we memorize and know God's word. We, we are to memorize it so that when we're in the heat of decision where a decision needs to be made of, of choosing what is holy and pure and good or choosing what is unholy and not good. 
that we need to be able to call God's word to our mind to make those decisions. In fact, in verse 13, we are to know God's word so much that we can actually say it back. Look at verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. You know, they say that if you want to know how much someone really knows something or the quality by which they know something, ask them to repeat it to someone else. Ask them to teach someone else that that thing. And the psalmist is saying, I I know your word so much that I can shout it from the rooftops. That it's a knowledge that is with him at any time that he can repeat and rehearse the very words of God. All the rules of your mouth, all the words of God, he can declare, he can proclaim. And in the last line, jump down to the end of 16. He makes a solemn promise to God. I will not forget your word. It begins with, how can a young man keep his way pure? And it ends with this declaration to God, I will not forget your word. He has God's word in his heart. He knows that that it is through God's word and through knowing God's word that he can live a life of gratitude and worship to God. And a part of that is actually knowing what God said. Not just memorizing so you can get a piece of candy at Sunday school, which is a great idea, by the way, but... But so that we don't forget God's words to us. God chose to say these things to us. We should remember them. And we need to to memorize and remember God's word. Memorization also shows our priorities. Because it takes time. And and I I made the challenge last week, and I'll make it again, partly because I think there was some confusion about this. I really need to learn how to speak good. But I want to challenge all of us here to take one stanza, one group of eight verses there, and to memorize one of them. Now, I could, I could, you know, put some real guilt and just be like, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd memorize the whole chapter. I'm not going to do that. Unless you want me to, I'm cool with that. But, but we need to get this into the rhythms of our lives, that we're memorizing God's word. Again, not for prizes or for our own glory, but so that we can know what God is saying to us. So I, I leave you that, uh, that challenge. And, and even, I heard a, an idea last week, that if your small group wants to all do the same one, that way you do some group memory. That might be a, a good thing. So consider that as you meet in your small groups this week. So we're to be holy, devoted 
to Scripture, we are to be memorizing and remembering God's Word. But also in these verses, to live a pure life that pleases God, to guard our lives by God's Word, we need a deep learning of Scripture. Look at verse 12, first of all. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. In the middle of this stanza, there's a prayer to God that God, through his word, would himself teach the author. That when you are reading God's word, that you would pray to God that he would open your eyes to the truth he's communicating to you. That, that when we read these words from God, that, that we are being taught by God. That this is him speaking to us. Again, this is his means of communication to us. And so we can pray, God, open my eyes and my ears and my heart so that I actually hear and read what you're saying. That I can actually know what you want me to know. Again, this is taking God's word seriously. Because if it's just the opinions of a bunch of dead guys, then I don't need to pray that. But if this is God's word to us, we need to pray that God himself would teach us. In verse 15, the author elaborates on this a little further. Look at verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. And in that word meditate, I think we have two main ideas. One of repetition, that we are regularly in God's word. And I know that's a fight. Our, our culture wants us to be so busy, we have no time to think or feel or rest. I've often heard it said, and I've said this before, that the more time-saving things we have in our lives, we're just told to fill back up with more things to do. Meditation takes time. Meditating on God's Word and a regular schedule of being in His Word. Again, it's a call to your priorities. How are you prioritizing your life to make time for God's Word? Are you taking advantage of your commute? Are you taking advantage of the breaks you have in your day? Are you making decisions that keep you from pushing your Bible to the margins of your life? That maybe if you have time at the end of the day, kind of maybe you might do it. Because that's what your results will be. <laughs> we all know that about ourselves but it's time to be real about that. It's time to say, I need to make priorities in my life, and I need to make the right priorities. But also with, within meditation, within that word, is the idea of focus. Again, when we read our Bibles, we need to not just skim through them quickly. You know, when I was, uh, when I was in college, Someone made me a bet to read the Bible in eight days. 
And I don't recommend this at all. But once the challenge was there, I had to do it. And I had work and stuff in there. And so it was the night before it was done. By the way, this wasn't for money. This was not a money bet. I don't want that getting out on the island. But at least not a lot of money. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But it was the last day, and I still had the entire New Testament to read. I did it in eight hours, the only all-nighter I ever pulled in college. And let me just say, that's not the type of reading I'm talking about here. I read fast. And too often, the temptation is to just sort of skim through our Bibles. Get through your quota, check it off on the list, did my Bible reading for today. And again, this is is a temptation for all of us. But again, we need to structure our days so that we have real quality time in God's Word, that we can meditate, that we can, look at the end of 15, fix our eyes on the ways of God. And it's hard. And you have to change the way you live to do this. And, and, and the outside culture and, and the busyness and the franticness doesn't want to give you time to do this. But we need to do it. Because nothing's more important than this. Let me say it this way. Sunday morning can't be the only time your Bible's open. And I think if you start from there, if you start from there, then you can really look at what are my priorities? What am I spending my time with? And how can I do one more step this week? What's one step I can do to make God's word more of a priority in my life so that I can really meditate on it and focus on it and know it? What's one thing I can change this week, this month, this year to do that? Excuse me. Fourth thing. We, we, we want to deeply learn scripture. We want to be wholly devoted to it. We want to memorize it. But the fourth thing is that we want to delight in it. We want to rejoice in God's word. Hop to verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. You know, when, when, when someone has a hobby or something they love or, or something amazing happened to them, maybe you have a trip, you just got back from something like that, you went on a cruise or whatever, you, you love talking about it. Some people won't shut up about the things they like. <laughs> Quit looking at me. I saw that. I saw that. But when you love something, you talk about it. I, I think it's, it's too easy... It's too easy for us to be uncomfortable talking about God's word, even though we say we love it. And I think we have to ask ourselves, do spiritual conversations with my family and friends make me uncomfortable? 
do I talk with my family and friends about my love for Jesus? Again, there's a delight in God's word. There's a love for God's word that the psalmist has. That he won't shut up about it. That he declares it from the rooftops. Now, the application here is not to go on your rooftop later this afternoon, because it might be icy, but that it's a part of that, if it's a big part of your life, you should talk about it. We need to delight in God's word. We also see that that it is so wonderful, it is so delightful, it is so joy-inspiring. And in verse 14, the psalmist compares it to money. Look at verse 14. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. He rejoices in God's word as if he won the lottery. It's my little paraphrase on that one here. And you know what I thought of? I thought of those, those commercials where, you know, they walk up with the balloons and the giant check, and they knock on someone's house, and they're like, you just won this giant check. And they're like, ah, and they freak out. Don't you love my acting skills? Those people go crazy because they've won millions of dollars. Nothing wrong with being excited about that. But the psalmist says, that's how I need to respond to God's word. Because the God who created everything in the universe, the God who is in control of all things, the God who deserves all glory and praise and worship, He had this book written to talk about how he saved us from eternal destruction because of our sin and sent his son to die in my place and in your place so that we could be with him in paradise forever. There might be a reason in there to rejoice in his word. (laughs) When when we read his word, when when we know his word, when we understand how great The news of the gospel is we delight that God would tell us about it, that he would show us how his son died. That that we would have places in the Bible that say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That we're told to repent and believe, and that through repentance and belief, we can have a certain hope and a future in paradise forever. When we understand how great the news is, when we understand how great God's word is to us, we can rejoice in all that God is doing and is promising. And so the psalmist can compare it to gobs and gobs of money. We need to rejoice in God's word and notice that this is a part of guarding the purity of your life because you're going to treasure something. Treasure God and his word. You're going to worship something. 
Worship God through his word. And then verse 16. Again, this, this summary verse at the end. Again, as he is thinking about the purity that God desires, as he is thinking of a life that is blameless and acceptable to God, that he is thinking of a life that is pleasing to God, He says, I will delight in your statutes. We need to view God's word as life-giving. God is not the cosmic buzzkill, but he is the God who gives life and gives it abundantly. In John 4, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That there is refreshment and life and joy through God and his word. But we don't settle for that, do we? We try to find it else. We try to find our joy in other places. And I once heard pastor say it this way. If you're thirsty, if you need refreshment, you're not going to drink the water out of a toilet. I mean, it's water, right? But you're not going to do it because it's toilet water. But Jesus, on the other hand, offers living water. Jesus is like the mountain spring, and anything that's not him will not bring joy, will not bring delight. But instead of pure water, we settle for water from the toilet. And when we delight in God's word, when we understand what it is, we are able to live lives worthy of Jesus. And I say that because Jesus lived out Psalm 119. He lived out these verses. In verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Jesus shows that in the Gospels. Turn over to Matthew 4. It's page 809 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, again, page 809 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, Jesus shows us 
Everything from this stanza of Psalm 119. Let me start reading in verse 4 there. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus goes out into the wilderness and faces temptation. He is faced with the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? Remember, Jesus is a young man at this time. He's literally living out Psalm 119 right before our eyes. And when he was out there, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came. So here he is. Here comes temptation. Satan is going to tempt Jesus. And the question is, will Jesus survive the temptation? Will he give in to temptation? If so, how will he do it? So let's look at the first temptation. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So here's, here's the first temptation. You prove to me you're the Son of God. Look at the arrogance in Satan's words, if you are the Son of God. You know, show me this little parlor trick, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be proved, you can prove me right, and yada, yada, yada. Okay? There's the temptation. Look how Jesus responds to the temptation. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the moment of temptation and trial, Jesus doesn't just reason his way out. What does he do? He goes to God's word. And he goes, if you look in your footnotes, he goes to Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. In fact, every answer that Jesus is going to give is from the book of Deuteronomy which we know the psalmist would have had. So not only do we have it, and Jesus had it, but also the psalmist. So there's a connection here. So let's look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Second temptation, let's go in this building and just throw yourself out. Because, didn't God say? And he quotes from Psalm 91. But look what Jesus did in verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Jesus doesn't have his Deuteronomy scroll with him at this time, so it's memorized. Again, in the face of temptation, he goes to God's word, but he also knows enough about his Bible that he knows Satan is manipulating God's word. He sees through because he has an understanding of the Bible. And again, from Deuteronomy... The third temptation. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Again, the temptation of rule over these earthly kingdoms, of these treasures. If Jesus ruled over all these kingdoms, he would have gobs and gobs of money. But what does Jesus say? Look at verse 10. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That Jesus treasured his relationship with the Father more than any earthly wealth. And he expressed that by going to the authoritative word of God. And in this, Jesus did what none of us could, and he perfectly kept his way pure. Jesus prevails over temptation by using God's word. That was the tool he used. He uses verses, again, that were known to the psalmist that is written today. He shows his delight in Scripture, knowing that obeying God and leading a pure life is greater than any treasure on this whole earth. He shows a deep knowledge and he sees how Satan is trying to manipulate and misuse God's word. Jesus, in these verses, lives out how a young man can keep his way pure. We are called to follow Jesus. If we are disciples of his, if we are followers of his, we need to follow his example. That by being devoted to God's word, by memorizing God's word, by meditating and knowing and delighting in God's word, we too can follow Jesus and live a life that is pleasing to God. And so this morning, we can't answer that question. How can we, how can young men, how can old men live lives of purity? We keep our lives pure by following God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, that we would not stray from your word, that we would not wander from you and your word, that we would be fully devoted to your word. God, that we would prioritize our lives so that we could meditate on your word and memorize your word so that when we are faced with temptation, that we can turn to the authoritative word of God And that through the empowerment of your spirit and through being instructed by your word, we can say no to temptation and lead a life that is worthy of you. And God, that that as we read your word, we we would not see you as an oppressive 
ruling God, but we would see that through your commands, you bring life and joy and peace. And that everything you have written in your word is for our good and for our joy. And that as we do that, as we seek to live this out in our lives, that that our lives, through obedience to your word, would be offered up to you, to your glory, and to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.